The reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. It's on page 807 of the Pew Bible. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? The king will answer, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. <clears throat> I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison or sick and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Word of God, word of life, thanks be to God. Coming off Thanksgiving these last few days with our eldest home from college, first time for us, meant we made the most of her time at home before she goes back. So Friday we got the Christmas tree, which I think maybe is why it snowed. I'm not sure. I'll take that one. Anyway, we decorated our living room, we watched football games, we played board games, we did many of the things that our family enjoys to do together. One of the only things we did not do that we love to do is, time didn't allow, is take a giant road trip. I know they're not everybody's cup of tea, but piling all our stuff into the beast, our affectionate name for our minivan, and heading out for an adventure, we love that. I've always loved road trips. Uh, before marriage and kids, I went on an epic road trip with my best friends from seminary to see all our hometowns as we lived across the country. It started uh, from where we were going to school in South Carolina and stopped in North Carolina and then Wisconsin and then South Dakota and then Salt Lake City and then obviously we had to go back. And I know it's not on the way, but it doesn't look that far off on the map. 
to just zoom down Utah from Salt Lake to swing by the Grand Canyon? <laughs> 20-somethings can think like that, but we didn't appreciate how road-weary we would be. Uh, and we still had the whole way home to go. So I remember finally arriving at Observation Point or whatever they call it at the south rim of the Grand Canyon. And of course, what did we see? We saw part of the largest canyon on Earth that is 277 miles long, about the same distance that it would be to drive from Onalaska to Chicago, 18 miles wide on average the whole way. It's huge. And the colors of rock, the beauty of the Colorado River twisting through the canyons, it's so other from any other place, right? It can almost feel like a different planet. Or it can also feel like nothing more than a big hole in the ground. I must have been really tired because I should have loved being there. I should have loved the view. It's, it's right up my alley. It's my kind of thing. But in my fatigue and knowing how much more travel we still had to do, and there were a lot of things on my mind at that moment, all I could see standing there in that spot was a big hole in the ground. I remember saying it out loud. It's like a big hole to me. That's what I said. And my best friend, he agreed. And he was tired. He was tired too. So we turned around right then and there. I don't think we were there an hour. And we just got in our car and left. Pathetic. Which makes me think of lyrics to one of my favorite Cloud Cult songs. I've, I've mentioned this band before. I heard a song of theirs years ago on a TV show and looked the song up and found that the the lead singer and songwriter actually lives in Viroqua, of all places. So they perform most years at Art Spire and Lacrosse. Many of you have heard them before. Anyway, they have this song called Through the Ages that builds to this great line. He sings, I'm done being stupid and worried and dramatic, so I lay down my every disguise. So if ever I can't see the magic around me, Please take my hands off my eyes. If ever I can't see the magic around me, please take my hands off my eyes. That's the image I have for the lesson Jesus is teaching in our text for today. He's at the end of his teachings about the end. Like the next thing, if we were to read on in Matthew's gospel, the next thing we'd hear about would be the plot to kill Jesus, the anointing of Jesus, Judas' betrayal, the passion narrative Christians know so well. The plot of the gospel story is about to pick back up in Matthew's gospel. Our text for today is the last part of the gospel that may not push the plot forward, but it makes meaning out of what's about to happen, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our congregation has been in the meaning-making part of Matthew's gospel for a couple weeks now, the parable of the ten bridesmaids was about living this life awake, not asleep, with an attitude of hope. Behaving hope-filled is living awake, ready for Jesus to return. And then last week I preached on the parable of the talents, a teaching that addresses our question to those who much is entrusted, what is expected? The point Jesus makes is, while we wait for the return of Jesus, it is expected that you use everything you're entrusted with. 
Since it is all a gift you did not generate, since it is all a gift you cannot control once you have it, use all of it to do the work of the one who entrusted it to you. Do God's work with God's gifts. That was the point. All of them, all the time. Don't just bury God's gifts in the ground, playing it safe as though there is a safe way through this vulnerable life. In faith, in hope, be bold like Jesus. Advocate for the meek boldly. In bold confidence, give generously. Be reckless with your love. Make peace even in the face of lots of hate. Entrusted with much, be bold with it all. So this last lesson from Rabbi Jesus about the end of all time is also about what the end means to our now. First, Jesus paints a picture, metaphorically, using images that make sense to his audience at the time, but he doesn't use these images so that he could burn these images into the heads of his followers for all time, as though these images are the point of his text. He uses these word pictures in order to teach what he wants to teach, in order to talk about what the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus means to our now. That's the first thing I want to make very clear about today's text. This is not a passage meant to fix our imaginations on these word pictures of Jesus, that the angels are with him there and Jesus literally sits on a throne and all the nations literally are gathered before that throne and Jesus literally separates people like sheep from goats. To get stuck on these images is like biting into the best pizza you have ever put in your mouth. It's amazing. I want you to remember that pizza. And after eating that first piece, and you're really hungry, like you've been eating turkey and mashed potatoes for days. And now you get to put something of real flavor in your mouth. And it really hits the spot. But you look back into the kitchen where this best pizza you've ever had came from, and you see the oven that it came from, and it looks really odd to you. And you're like, how could this pizza come from that oven? Oh, it's not about the oven, everybody. That pizza is glorious, however it got warm. Okay, our text for today is this glorious good news. Great news, actually. But many Jesus followers, instead of digging in and allowing this good news to hit the spot, I mean, what it's saying is grace for us so that we can be grace in the world. Amazing. Instead of being even more grateful for this great news, many get stuck on the oven it was made in, the metaphorical language that leads up to today's great news. And many will ask today, instead of how can we boldly live in hope and be awake, live awake, these kind, instead many of us are going to wonder, sheep or goat, which are you? Jesus is not trying to make a point about your sheepness or your goatness. Because how can we tell how much of us gets to be sheep and how much? 
Like the whole idea of sinner and saint at the same time that Lutherans talk about a lot doesn't lend itself towards sheep or goat. Once again, this text is not all about you or me. Today's text, like most texts in the Bible, it's about God and how God loves, specifically this time, about how God, through Jesus, invaded the brokenness of this world to bring healing and wholeness, to put it all back together again, but not just by himself, through us who follow him. It's about how Jesus invaded the hunger of this world to feed it, but not all by himself, but with the help of those who follow him. It's about the thirst of this world and how Jesus came to invade it and give it something to drink, but not just him. All of his followers would do that work too. Jesus invaded the ways we divide ourselves into insiders and outsiders, and boy, we do a good job of that. Jesus found strangers, marginalized ones, and welcomed them, but didn't do it just in his own time for those that he met, the few that he got to make contact with. He wants his followers to do that for as long as we wait for his return. Jesus found the naked ones to clothe them, and so we clothe them. He invaded illnesses that he could heal them, He found prisoners to visit them, and so this is the work that his followers do. Jesus didn't teach this lesson so that we would get stuck on whether am I a metaphorical goat or am I a metaphorical sheep. Jesus teaches this lesson so that if ever I can't see the magic around me, please take my hands off my eyes. Because the king in the text after separating people from one another, says to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry and you gave me food, thirsty, you gave me something to drink, and so on. But then the righteous ask, Lord, when was that? When did we do that? And Jesus taught, well, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And the people on the king's left ask a similar question, Lord, when was it that we did not take care of you? When you didn't take care of the least, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned. You didn't do it for me. So Jesus does not teach this lesson for us to worry our whole lives long about whether I'm a sheep or whether I'm a goat. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I lovable? Does God love me? Jesus doesn't want anybody to worry, to live in fear I mean, how many times does he say, do not fear, be not afraid, do not worry, but obsess over whether you're a sheep or a goat? No. Just like the other teachings of this section of Matthew's gospel, Jesus wants the end to shape the now. Not with fear, but with awe. Live in hope, Hope hope-filled awe. Because that's what it's like. That's what it looks like to be ready for the end. Use your gifts to carry on God's work. Because to those whom much is entrusted, much is expected. And today, as road-weary as you may be, as tired as you are, with as much of a haul as there is still left on your journey, take your hands off your eyes and see the love around you the grace, the peace, the mercy around you. 
It's there already. Because you and others you know and love are doing it, like now. It's happening. God's work is being carried out even amidst the wars and famines and climate change and the pandemics and cancer and political divisions and divorces and addictions and frustrations and pain and grief and whatever temporary lies you're being told through the experiences of your life. Whatever it is that's trying to keep you from seeing the truth, the eternal truth, that's more true than any of those lies I just named, being in awe of God's power and love is visible. It is knowable. We, church, participate in that God work ourselves already. Again, today, as we sing about it, we pray about it, we'll share in communion. Then we'll be sent into our week to, again, actually act like we see it, know it, and participate in it. If we have to ask Jesus, well, when was it that that happened? When was it that feeding happened, that kindness happened, that generosity happened? Then we're not paying attention. Because if we have to ask, when was it that mercy happened? Because all I saw was war. When was it that reconciliation or healing happened? Because all I saw was a lot of hate and division. If we have to ask when or where or how God's kind of love, peace, patience, and compassion happened, then we really don't believe that the work we do, the work of the church, that the work of any of us really matters. People of faith take their hands off their eyes and see that God's reign has already begun through God's people. People of hope see that we together, in the ways we welcome all, in the ways we build community, in the ways we serve our neighbors, it's all light for the world now. People of love know that being claimed by God in baptism, it's not being brought into a bucket of promises that we cross our fingers about as we think about uh, what will happen once we die. God claims us to experience the grace and love of God our whole lives long, now and for always. And not just so that we would enjoy the view for ourselves and ourselves only, but so that we would be bold enough to take the hands of others off their own eyes as well. Thanks be to God. Amen.